You ever wish we had an unsay button? Like I've been known to say that too. I'll say something and I'll hear what I have just said and I'll go unsay, unsay, backspace, delete, do over, undo. We wish we had one of those in real time. They have them in live television. There's a six second delay in live broadcast television so they can unsay things. There used to be this thing in an email, um, this feature in, I can't remember what email service it was, but um, it was uh, something about being drunk. But, that's kind of the, but what it did was it read the tone of your email, and if they noticed the tone of your email was inflammatory, it put it in a folder in this outbox that you couldn't send for eight hours until you had to review it. Wow. Now, how many of you, looking back at your career, wish you would have had that one? <laughs> right? We've all sent the flame mail, right? And usually in the workplace, the flame mail means that's your career going up in flames. Like, but you, in that moment, you are so passionate, you are so convicted, you are so right that it doesn't matter and you've got to send it and it's the satisfying thing to hit send. Ooh. <clears throat> and then it's like the words go and you try to pull them back. And yeah, that's, that's kind of what James is talking about in James chapter three. Because we can know what we should say and we don't say it. I'll give you one example. Uh, Heather and I had been married for about a year maybe. Probably is our first year of marriage. And uh, I was reminded of this story because Wednesday, Gloria brought, Gloria Johnson brought beef stroganoff because we provide dinner for our youth, for youth group. And many of you volunteer and bring food. Thank you for that. But Gloria cooks kind of like my mom did, so I always love it when Gloria brings food. And so she brought my very favorite meal since I was a child, which is beef stroganoff. And Heather and I got married, and it was known she knew that my favorite meal was beef stroganoff, and Heather started to prepare beef stroganoff our first year of marriage and she made this and she was making it out of like homemade noodles and mushrooms from her garden and real rich cream and the best beef she could buy and making this delicious thing and we sit down to eat it and I'm looking at it and <clears throat> there's a time when you know what not to say <laughs> and then it's like you hear you just said it and can you guess what I said? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you see me. I'm not alone. I said, this isn't like mom's. <laughs> Heather being so gracious, she tried again. And apparently, over the years, uh, that moment when I said, I know I shouldn't say this, but I did, uh, I had said it again. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I guess I am alone. <laughs> you were with me the first time. The second time, you're like, you're an idiot, man. <laughs> yes, I am an idiot, and I knew I shouldn't have said it, and I said it. I said it, and it was, as Heather tells it, it was probably two years before Heather finally went to my mom and said, I'm, Michael loves your beef stroganoff. I'm not making it the same way. Um, how do you make it? because he keeps saying that it's not like yours. <laughs> and my mom literally walks over to the counter, grabs a can of Campbell's mushroom soup and a box of hamburger helper. <laughs> this is what Michael likes for beef stroganoff. 
uh, man, I shouldn't have said the thing. So when James is talking about taming the tongue, that's the type of thing he's saying. You can know the right thing to say and not say it. And what James is highlighting here in this text where he's talking about in the midst of a trial, you can consider it joy because the trial gives you that place where you can persevere in faithfulness. In faithfulness to what, though? And that's where he emphasizes, he calls it the royal law. Faithfulness in loving others as yourself, faithfulness in elevating other people above you and, and viewing your role in the world is to serve people through the midst of a trial. Faithfulness in that is the perseverance he's talking about. And when you stay in that lane of being faithful to the royal law of loving others, it produces wisdom inside of you. And he calls that wisdom the crown of life. So that's, the, that's what, how James opened up this letter, and now we are in chapter 3, and he's highlighting the threats that could pull us out of that perseverance and rob us from being saved in our trial um, by receiving the wisdom and the gift of life through persevering. And, and in chapter 2, he talked about how um, when when we see someone or someone comes among us that it clearly uh, has the capacity to influence others. Uh, they're dressed well. They may be known in the community. And let's say they come to your church gathering is the metaphor that James uses. They come in and, and you treat them with preferential treatment because you know that they have influence that you may be able to leverage to help you in your trial. Because in this time, the Jews are dispersed out of Jerusalem they're being outcasts because they're Jews. They're treated like outcasts because they're going through trials of many kinds. Businesses, schools, community meetings, everything, they're the outcasts. So they're going through many different trials. So when they see someone with influence, the temptation is, I'm going to befriend them and treat them special because I could exploit them for my own gain, really. And then on the flip side, he says, but, but then the, what you do in that, you neglect the poor among you. And the point you're missing is he says, aren't the poor the ones that really know me? Aren't they the ones that really know Jesus? Aren't they the ones when you're going through a hard time and you're being comforted by God, aren't they the ones who are experiencing the production of perseverance, which is maturity, which is what you really want. So you end up exploiting and neglecting them as well when you abandon this love others, the royal law, in your persevering. And now he takes it from the group gathering, and he, in James 3, draws the attention to internally, and here's another struggle you will have and some wisdom on how to deal with it. And he's talking about controlling your tongue. Okay, so let's uh, pray, and we're going to start reading in James 3, verses 1 and 2, and we're going to get through the whole book of James today. Father God, I thank you so much for your word, and I thank you that you have brought us to this day. And I pray that you would speak, <clears throat> you would speak to our hearts, and that we would see um, with open eyes, and we would remember what we see, that we would look into this reflective passage and internally see, God, in what areas am I 
short-circuiting my perseverance, or am I tempted to give up in being faithful and full of integrity and kindness and living out my convictions, God, where I can be transformed and I can receive that gift of life, that crown of glory called wisdom. Help us to see today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. James 3, verses 1 and 2. We'll start there. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Okay. Now, this has been extremely just frustrating to me how many times I learned this out of context. It is, this is in no way talking about someone preaching the Bible. James doesn't all of a sudden switch gears here and talk about the importance of seminary. You know, he, he's talking about in the midst of your trial, don't assume, don't readily assume that you should assert your opinion on the group. Or let's say the church or the family or the workplace. Why? Well, let, how did you feel about that flame mail? When you sent that flame mail, that email, was it something that elevated others above yourself? Was it something that fulfilled the law of love? Was there gossip in it? Was there slander in it? Was there subtle casting of shade in it? But in that moment, your conviction was deep and strong and powerful. We do this when we argue out of emotion. And we say things that we ought not say. Now, I am an external processor, I guess is what they call it. I, I need to process things out loud. And I think we all need that to some degree. Because here's something beautiful that happens when we talk. This is the way God wired us. In our heads, and our hearts, and our minds, inside of us is chaos. When you take all the feelings we feel and the thoughts that we have and the experiences that we have and, and the pain that we're processing through and the hope and fears that we have about the future and you put it all in our head, it's just chaos. And what we, when we take that chaos and we force it into some type of words, we're forcing it into a structure of order. And that's kind of what the human does is we take chaos and we make order out of it. And so when we are forced to take all of that and put it into words, it helps us make sense of it so we can go over it. You ever been through trauma and you find yourself telling the exact same story over and over and over again to the same people? You know they've heard it. Like that's happened to me. I've gone through some traumatic things and, I, and I'm telling the person and I just say, I know I've told you this before, but thanks for just letting me get it out because I am just taking the chaos. And that's why some people, their therapy is writing. That's why all therapy is called talk therapy where you actually have to talk you know, if you go to a therapist and you're frustrated that he's not telling you what to think, it's because they're smart. They know that you have to come up with your own processes. And it's going through that process that brings us that healing. So I'm an external processor. So that means that I try things on and I got to unsay them. <laughs> I'm like, so maybe da 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 da. Nope undo. And as a leader, you got to be careful. If you're an external processor and a leader, you have to be careful because oftentimes people feel that uh, 
if everything you say as a leader is directive. <laughs> and I am, no, mm -mm. It's, hey, I'm going to try this on. <laughs> nope, undo that. And so you have to be very careful in how you take the chaos and make it ordered. That's one way that we should be careful in taming our tongue because the emotion can have us go off the rails. And so when we step forward to say, I, I should be the one to instruct, specifically talking about here's the trial, here's the struggle, and here's what's going on, what he's saying about not many of you should. He's not saying not many of you should preach the Bible. What, now, there, there, uh, there is a passage that warns against that because he says you'll be judged more harshly when you do that. There is a passage that says, hey, you know, it's anyone who manipulates spirituality to lead someone astray, it will go bad for them, Right? has something to do with a mill around your neck at the bottom of a river. Like, that's bad, right? There is a warning against intentionally misleading people. Now, that's not what this is talking about, though. He's talking about you will be judged more harshly. Now, if there is an element of God judging more harshly, we don't know from the text. But what we do know from experience is that if I stand up here and try to assert my opinion using my pastor role, the platform, the, this microphone, this precious time that we have to try to convince you that I am correct in some political thing or some struggle we're going through, um, that I should not do that because that's the result of me stepping forward in my tongue, betraying the royal law of loving one another. And just to kind of bring this to a very poignant point here, just among us in our online church, <laughs> during these last two years, this has been like we have anchored in this idea. Um, I have deeply strong opinions about what's been going on the last few years. And as we preach through the Bible, we just were faithful to preach. Um, I'm thankful for our team and our board and our leadership that we all agreed, like, we're not going to be on the platform for anything but Jesus. We're going to be very cautious. And I was very cautious in the way I taught. And to be honest, there are certain things like when, treat, when you, like, in this, in James chapter 3, there's 20 sermons. Like, what do you pick, right? And to be honest, I skirted around some points to preach the other points as we were going through text because I knew in certain topics in my heart I was too raw and there is the temptation for me to insert a sarcastic remark a comment something that um, would take the focus away from the royal law of loving one another and put the focus on proving that I'm right and that, that proving you're right is what James refers to as the way of the world. That's the way of the world, but we are different. When we're called to one lo love one another, we have to tame our tongue and control our tongue and make even what we say submissive to the priority of loving one another. And so he's saying, don't assume that just because you're passionate about something that you should stand up and teach. Not many of you should. Not only is he telling you to reflect internally, but he's telling the group 
to be careful. Don't listen to someone who's doing that. Be wise that this is going to happen. So, and in verse 2, it says, for we all stumble in many ways. And you just don't know when the thing you know you shouldn't say is going to come out of your mouth. But then he says, if anyone who doesn't stumble in what he says, he is the perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. The rest of this chapter, he kind of goes deeper and more nuanced into those two verses. But the, um, just to clarify some words here, when it, 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 there's a tell here in the Greek in, chapter, in verse 2 where he says he is a perfect man. That word perfect is the same idea. It means to be made, uh, to, to come to its completion or to be made complete or to be made mature, right? And in chapter 1, he's saying, let the jo- be joy. Uh, uh, there's joy in your trials because perseverance breeds maturity, which is the crown of life. So the one who speaks is the one who, who's, uh, has reflected on themselves and done the work to be mature and to speak in a way that accomplishes the purpose of the royal law, and that is to bring unity and to bring peace. And what we have to do is get rid of this conviction that being right is the most important thing. And we say that, and Heather and I teach that in all of our premarital, like husbands and wives, being right can be your enemy. Being right is insignificant. Being unified fulfills the law of love. So fight and strive to be unified. Don't fight and strive to be right. Because you realize when you fight and strive to be unified, what are you fighting against? The things that would divide you. You together have a con- common enemies, the things that divide you. But when you're married and you're striving to be right, your spouse becomes your enemy. And if you're ever in a situation you realize that you and your spouse aren't arm in arm against something else, adopt the law of love that says being together is what is most important. Oftentimes when Heather and I are driving and I'm, I'm going one way or, or she's going one way and I notice that she's taking the wrong turn, I still follow her even though she's taking the wrong turn, right? It's super sappy, but I always say I'd rather be lost with you than on, the, on following the map without you. But that's the only person who even considers teaching, and that's the only person that you should consider listening to. Verse 3, if we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. They, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is small is a small member. Let me stop there halfway through verse 5 um, because I don't want to miss this point. What the thing he's, the po- one of the points he's setting up here is that this, the tongue, although small, is extremely powerful, is extremely influential. It can do things uh, like teach a horse to obey us where we can tame the horse uh, like a bit. 
We can guide their whole bodies. It could, it could direct a large ship in strong winds, this small little rudder. The tongue is this small yet powerful, influential thing. So don't lose that, that there's a positivity side to this where a bridled tongue can be glorious. Think about the speeches that have changed the world that we, Martin Luther King's speech has changed the world that we live in. And we all lean on and cling to. Think about any Billy Graham sermon, like anything like that just transforms people. Think about your wedding vows. You say those with your tongue like that is a conviction that sets the tone for a marriage relationship. So beautiful, powerful things, or even something as simple as an apology, and maybe even more powerful, a forgiveness that's expressed. Like, what is that? That changes the trajectory of a relationship. So the tongue can be a beautiful, powerful thing when it is harnessed. Verse 5 continues, Yet the tongue boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, sustaining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. So when we're not in control, the tongue causes great damage. And that is things like gossip, a spirit of condemnation. In gossip, we want to do a thing called coalition building, right, where we want to gossip to someone about our perspective and it gets them to agree with us. And here's a way to tell if someone is not ready to get up and speak and give direction to a group in the midst of a trial. If you have ever listened to someone and you realize they're telling you this entire long story but the only point of the story seems to be that they were right. And I've had that happen I, dozens, if not hundreds of times. I'll be listening to a story from someone about something. It's about something I don't know involving someone I don't know who had the wrong opinion and they came in with one piece of wisdom and they were right. And that's the only, way, only thing I know about the story. Have you ever heard a story like that? Have you ever told a story like that? When someone's in a traumatic response state, that is kind of what we do, right? And if you hear or realize that you are doing that, you are not the person to stand up and teach. So be cautious of that. Another way that this, in gossip, that this has caused damage, and this is something that um, I've read about happening and I've seen it, um, but this is a known thing in, in relationships where there's... Um, uh, Divorce, co-parenting, there's uh, enmity between husband and wife, and there's children involved. And um, I've read about this, and I've seen it, that this is a phenomenon that happens. Uh, one of the parents will say to the children, if they know or they believe that the other parent is speaking poorly about them to the kids, casting them in a negative light, putting blame on them for things, the other, this is how sneaky our tongue is. The parent will say to the child, I would never speak poorly about your other parent. I think that's the most despicable, terrible, horrible thing any human could ever do. And a person like that is just a bad person that ever speaks badly about the other parent. Do you see how sneaky that is? 
Because you're standing on a virtue, but what are you actually doing? You are casting some serious shade on that other parent. That's how sneaky the tongue is. Because you can be standing on the very principle that you're betraying with every word. We should be very cautious to speak in the midst of a trial or a struggle because our tongue is sneaky. Yeah. Verse 7 says, For every kind of beast and bird of reptile sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So in stressful situations... When we're under pressure and we're, our emotions are heightened, we should not trust our tongue until we've done the reflective work that James talks about earlier. So verse 9 says, With it, the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. Now, just be careful here. He's not saying, although it would be obvious, he's not saying you shouldn't do this. What he's doing is saying this is how dangerous the tongue is because this is how it is. But if you look at the rest of the world, the rest of creation, the tongue is unique. Nothing else does this. It's not how it ought to be. Nothing else in creation does this. And he says in verse 11, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? No. no. Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine produce pig, uh, figs or pigs? Can't do either. So it fits. <laughs> Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water because of the dangers of our tongues and how unique and different taming the tongue is from the rest of the world. We should be very cautious and take this very seriously. Until we have demonstrated the spiritual maturity in our own lives. Now, who is wise? Who should we listen to? James continues in uh, verse 13. Um, who is wise and understanding among you? By his conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So the proven humility that comes from the wisdom, the maturity, the crown of life, the glory that is promised if we persevere through. So the person that has gone through and has reflected. And how will you know that person? You will see the fruit in their life. Are they peaceable? Are they humble? Verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy or selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Now, remember the wisdom that comes down from above. He just wrote a few chapters earlier that when you're going through a trial, pray for wisdom. If you have a humble heart to hear correction, direction from God, he will give you the wisdom. So the wisdom that comes down from above is what he's referring to. It's the same thing he mentioned in chapter 1. Right? So 
where, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Right? So that's how you identify in your own heart. Now remember, he also talked about the mirror, right? Reflecting in the mirror and remembering. So when you reflect in the mirror, if there is some selfish ambition, if there is still some resentment and anger and bitterness inside of you, be careful. And if you're in a leadership position and you're going through a trial, let's say at work, at home, in school, in your family, at church, and you realize, I am still bitter. I'm not the one to speak. Let's let someone who has attained the maturity in this speak. Because although I may say the right words, I know my tongue may slip. I'm, and we couch it in things. I mean, I don't know why, but my whole life growing up, it was really funny to say something extremely hurtful and say just kidding right after it, as if it made it go away. You know, kids would do that to each other. We'd do that to our parents. Uh, my sisters and I would torment each other. Um, but just kidding doesn't fix it. So we have to be careful because our tongues can just kid. I was just joking. And still hurt and cause damage and division. The loving thing is to do the work. So you'll see the, uh, the wisdom with humility that lacks the selfish ambition and the pride. And verse 17, the wisdom from above is this, pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. When someone comes of and they can speak without pushing an agenda. They can bring people, invite people to unity. People are going to choose whether or not they're going to be in unity or not. But this, the one who's inviting people to unity. The one who is open to reason, which I love that. The one who is willing to say, I have a perspective and I may be wrong. I have an opinion and I am open to it changing if I gather more information. Like, isn't that kind of the whole point? of learning. It's like, I want to learn more. I want to learn what you think and what you see, so maybe I can change my opinion, but the fact that we have differing opinions doesn't mean to divide, doesn't need to divide us. I'll tell you what, I know for a fact that if a year and a half ago we were preaching through James, I would have skipped this chapter because I know, like I, seeing the division that people were choosing, and I was, it was so hard for me to navigate. That's what the wisdom that comes down from above. It's pure, it's peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mystery, uh, uh, mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. After you've reflected in the mirror, are you seeing a harvest of peace? If you're seeing that in your life, you will see the fruit around you. And you not only should speak, the world needs you to speak. There should be a few who speak because when we are all going through this discerning of wisdom and we pray to God for wisdom, he may give it to us through the one who has done it before and is speaking and teaching how to navigate this that leads us to unity, leads us to love one another. Now remember the context of this. It goes back to James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, that when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. 
and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Perfect being made mature, made whole. So I'm going to ask the, the worship team to come up. And every week we emphasize a different spiritual rhythm and we rotate through these. This week we're going to emphasize prayer. And we're going to ask that you take this response time, these next couple songs, and you spend some time just talking to God personally, between you and God. If you would like to pray with somebody, uh, we will be in here, be happy to pray with you. Um, but I'm going to ask you to focus your prayer on doing some more mirror work. That's what we've been doing every week. This time, let's reflect in the mirror and say, God, search me, show me. Is there a way where I am speaking where I ought not? Where I'm more concerned about being right than I am about loving. And you may have been, you may feel neglected, ignored, abused, taken advantage of by somebody, and you're using your platform to express your pain. If that's, there's a way to overcome that, and that is to pray that God would give you the wisdom to see that and that you would be able to capture the joy in the midst of that hurt because there's something in you that's going to grow and heal and become mature and strong. So I'm going to ask that over these next couple songs that we do that. Toby's going to lead us in, in prayer and then they'll lead us in worship. But... Let's do some mirror work together today.